Hello, and welcome to the Fight Ransomware podcast. I'm Norman Guadagno, and we are brought to you by Carbonite, the data protection company for business. In each episode, we'll be talking with featured guests about ransomware and other serious threats to your business data. And I'm joined, as always, by Fight Ransomware editor, Ellen O'Brien. Hi, Hi, Ellen. Hi, Norman. Glad to be here today. Yeah, we're glad to be here. It's uh, been a little bit since we recorded one of these. That's true. And so you and I have been chomping at the bit to get a new guest. And um, we have a great one today. We do have a great one today. We are joined by David Maimon. Maimon. We were arguing about your name again, and I blanked on it, David. So he's going to give us the correct pronunciation. Uh, but David is an associate <laughs> professor of criminology at the University of Maryland. He teaches there and also re- researches uh, cyber crimes, cyber-enabled crimes, including ransomware. David, welcome to the Fight Ransomware podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're glad to have you here. And I, I loved reading this, the associate professor in criminology and you do research on cyber crimes, ransomware. Just let's get started by telling us how you got there, because you certainly, uh, it's not been that long that people have been studying cyber crime. Obviously, you're teaching it, you're doing research on it, and it, it is a whole new branch of crime, if you will, that has emerged over the past few decades. So why don't you give us a little bit of your experience getting to this place, what your journey has been, uh, and maybe talk a little bit about the students who are interested in it, just to help educate us and our audience on uh, this pretty exciting uh, pursuit that you have. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to do that. So um, you're 100% correct. Um, uh, I, when I first joined the, the faculty at the University of Maryland, uh, Department of Criminology there, my area of research was not really into cybercrime. I wasn't really interested in cybercrime. And part of the reason why I wasn't really interested in this line of research is that uh, not too many people produce cool and innovative and scientifically rigorous research uh, in that topic. Back then, when I joined uh, Maryland uh, eight years ago, I was doing um, neighborhood research. I really try to understand how uh, your residential environment influences your decision-making process and uh, your likelihood to get involved in deviant behavior. Uh, but uh, seven years ago, one of my colleagues approached and uh, wanted me to uh, work with him on a, on a white paper in the context of cyber terrorism. And since uh, the colleague who approached me is a very esteemed colleague, uh, I, um, I, I had to accept the offer. I uh, started diving into the literature, um, and I witnessed that uh, there weren't too much uh, research uh, in the context of either cyber-terrorism or cybercrime. The, the, the research that was out there uh, in the context of cybercrime uh, was very technical, um, and, and not too many people actually talked about the human player uh, that, that we as criminologists and, so, and social scientists are, are more interested in. Um, so because I thought I'll be able to, um, contribute, you know, some, some really meaningful research in the context of cybercrime and push the envelope, uh, in that context, I decided to shift gears, um, and instead of studying, uh, neighborhood effects and in individual decision-making process, I, uh, decided to, uh, study cybercrime. Um, and by study, cybercrime, I mean studying hackers, study victims and study IT managers. Uh, and their behaviors in the online environment. So uh, that's so fascinating. And when you first started studying cyber criminals, what did you find out about them? What are some key characteristics you learned about people who 
take up cyber cybercrime? Well, it's, it's a really interesting question. Um, when you talk about cyber criminals, you really have to differentiate between two types of cyber criminals. As criminologists in general, we uh, differentiate between cyber um, dependent criminals or individuals who uh, use the cyber environment in order to generate um, crimes that could not exist in the absence of computers and the internet and um, cyber um, uh, assistant crimes, uh, which are crimes that, that, that could exist in the absence of computers, like cyberbullying or cyber fraud. Mm -hmm. um, cyberbullying cyber is a big issue, by the way, and uh, we we'll probably won't talk about that today, but it's been on my mind all day, and uh, I'd love yeah, to have that is. discussion with you at some future date, because it, it's something that people stumble into and don't even realize they're committing a mm -hmm. crime when they're online. And I love the way you describe that as how it could happen without it, but it, you know, now it's happening on cyber. Thanks for bringing that up. But, but continue on with that trend of thought. Yeah, definitely. Um, but so when, when you talk about uh, cyber criminals, you really have to differentiate between these, uh, these two types of criminals. You have, on the one hand, you have hackers, right, uh, who, who, who engage in um, computer-dependent crime or some cyber computer-focused or cyber-dependent crime. Uh, and then on the other hand, you have um, nine, eight, uh, seven years old who cyber-bully uh, on cyberspace. Um, the the literature does, does provide profiles for these different types of criminals, but to tell the truth, uh, those, proof, those profiles, um, in my opinion, are not, are not very good. Uh, they rely on samples that are not uh, very rigorous. Um, and so generating a profile of a hacker or a cyber bully or, or uh, a cyber fraudster, it's kind of, it's kind of complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very interesting. And uh, you know, when we talk about uh, hackers here, we always make sure that we talk about uh, bad hackers or malicious hackers, uh, black hat criminal hackers versus the uh, the good guys, because we we're friends with many good hackers, and we we like to make sure that we distinguish between the two. But I do like your characterizations there. Do cyber criminals, David? Do they the ones distributing ransomware, for example, the ones we talk about the most? Do they have to be very bright? I, I, because now this do-it-yourself ransomware makes mm -hmm. it sound like you could not know that much about coding and computers and distribute some ransomware. Do you have to have a either be, for lack of a better phrase, really smart, <laughs> or do you have to have a basic working knowledge at least of uh, how things are coded? Like how sophisticated do you have to be to distribute ransomware these days? So, so it really depends. This is again really interesting question. Um, I, I think I think that in order to answer this, we really have to understand the the ecology uh, of ransomware campaigns. This is part of the things that we're studying. I mean, when when you talk about uh, ransomware and, and and you sort of try to understand what ransomware campaign uh, is, you, you need to you need to make sure that you differentiate between three key actors. So so you do have the ransomware initiators. Um, mm -hmm. These are the guys. These are the guys who, who write the ransomware, write the malicious software, and uh, they try to come up with a way uh, to distribute uh, the, 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 the ransomware. Again, using uh, emails, using pop-up banners, uh, all the methods that uh, we're familiar with for distributing uh, regular malware. At the same time, the second very important actors that we need to take into consideration are the ransomware affiliates or the ransomware distributors. These guys are not very sophisticated. These guys um, are essentially helping the ransomware initiators to facilitate the operation. Mm -hmm. um, 
these guys contact the ransomware initiators over the darknet, uh, where the ransomware initiators advertise their products. Um, and they simply try to chime in on the operation and, and help uh, the ransomware initiators to distribute the malware. So, so these guys, most of the times, are not very sophisticated. Uh, they're not very technical. Um, from my experience and from our conversation with with some of those uh, distributors, we know that they're not very technical. In fact, um, you can think about them more as, as, as child persons. Um, and, and, and so they're very different beasts, if you want, than the ransomware initiators who are sort of uh, the, the, the masterminds behind the ransomware. These are the guys who write the ransomware and sort of uh, 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 run the whole operation. Yeah, and, and then the last sector is, of course, the victim who who has something to do, of course, with uh, uh, the victimization and the fact that he ends up with with ransomware on his device. He, he, he has nothing to do with respect to uh, sort of uh, the distribution um, of ransomware. Yeah. So a couple of things there, David. Great systematic or systemic approach. That obviously you're taking a systems approach here to be thinking about these different actors. Are you? You mentioned a few times they were referring to them. Uh, I think just uh, sort of colloquial, you know, in a colloquial fashion, you call them these guys. But are they predominantly guys? Uh, I, I'd like to sort of understand if you have some understanding of the the gender uh, sort of makeup there. And uh, and I love that you include the victim as one of the the sort of actors, right? That's uh, you know again this sort of classic systems approach to thinking about all the actors that are involved here and. Uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating topic for us that I'd love to talk more about. But first, let's talk about this. We, we're still early in this, even though we've been struggling with it for a while here and, and yourself. Right? But for, the, for society at large, it's, it is a, it's a problem that's still evolving. And uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure, David, as a, a criminologist, you obviously have a great deal of knowledge around the, the different types of policing methods that have put in place over decades to try to deal with crime out in the world, whether that be violent crime or uh, drugs or any of those, and how as society and times change, different types of policing methods come into vogue, things like community policing and other types of methods. And new technology is, in, is introduced, things like body cams, right? all of which change the dynamic in society and sometimes positively have positive impact, crime rates go down, sometimes have negative impact, crime rates don't go down. Do you think that we're going to be able to sort of start to think about theories and ways of approaching how we educate and how we deal with victims and how we deal with this crime over the next decade that will allow us to find things that actually are efficacious and that you can back up with research over time? Are we just too early to really have that yet? I hope so. I mean, that's that's essentially what we're trying to do, right? I mean, we, we, we're trying to introduce new theories. We're trying to introduce new ways to test the effectiveness of uh, different different programs, different tools, different interventions in preventing uh, different types of cybercrime. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. it, it will take time. Um, it will take a lot of effort. Uh, it will take a lot of effort, I think, to bring the computer scientists, the cybersecurity expert, the social scientists, all into the same room, um, and and for them to come to an agreement with respect to what are the right uh, methods to, uh, for us to use in order to test the effectiveness uh, of those programs. I mean, 
as scientists, we're, we're at the point where we're not really we're not really agreeing yet about uh, the, the the actual metrics that uh, we should use in order to test the effectiveness of of intrusion detection system, for right. instance, or, or antivirus, or or a training pool. We don't really know, uh, you know, what is our dependent variable and how to to measure it, right? Yeah. So, so I would hope. Um, and that's essentially what we're trying to do in the scientific sort of uh, community uh, to see more more of this uh, 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 these efforts, right? That, that will bring us into a point where we'll be able to say, uh, in, in some level of certainty, what works and what doesn't. Yep, yep. And that that obviously, I mean, you made a good point there, right? As a as a social scientist, it takes time and it takes a lot of research and it takes uh, the ability to generate theories and then to test them. And intervention is hard because it takes a long time. I'm wondering, uh, you know, just again thinking back uh, at my own background as a as a formed social scientist, uh, I gave it up for commerce. But uh, as a reformed social scientist, uh, and we think about sometimes it takes seminal events in society to get people to to focus on or to rethink how they uh, how they approach a problem, right? So. Uh, in social psychology, we often refer to the uh, the Kitty Genovese case, which was essentially a person who was beaten up, killed, uh, innocent bystanders, numerous of them saw it, nobody intervened, uh, created a whole branch of social psychology that uh, really dealt with how people respond in uh, seeing somebody you know, assaulted and why people intervene or why they don't and why we have innocent bystanders and why we have bystanders who turn their head the other way. In this case, right, when you think about ransomware, we've seen, as we've talked with lots of victims and other experts, it's something that people often want to keep private. They don't want to mm -hmm. reveal that they've been a victim. And I'm wondering if right. we need more public victims, in some sense, to bring a focus to this that sort of removes the stigma of being attacked by ransomware and says, oh, you know, I can be this. Because this is a, a typical... You know, model is often used. How do you get people who are, you know, ashamed of being depressed? Well, you get celebrities to talk about their depression, mm -hmm. and it makes it something where people mm -hmm. are more accepting. I'm wondering if something like that might be a, a way that people can start to think about ransomware and normalize it, if you will. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I don't know how to answer this question um, because because um, we're in a point where we, as criminologists, as not only social scientists, but as, as you know, scientists in general, we don't really know how much cybercrime we have out there. Mm -hmm. uh, you're talking about ransomware. Ransomware is, is you know, um, uh, is, is a type of malware. Of course, we don't know the, the, the volume of, of malware infections in, 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 in the U.S. Or, or around the world. We assume it's very high, but we don't really have a specific estimate for, you know, how, how prevalent ransomware infections are. Uh, part of the reason, as you mentioned, is that people do not really report their victimization. And to tell the truth, in, in part of our efforts in different countries, what we're trying to do is we're trying to solicit people to tell us about um, their um, ransomware sort of experiences and what is it that they experienced uh, with ransomware. Um, and one of the reasons why we want to uh, uh, get all this information is we, we really want to try and understand how they felt and you know what, what um, made them sort of get the, the infection on their computer, but also we are trying to sort of uh, follow the Bitcoin addresses and, and trying to understand uh, what, what the bad guys uh, did uh, with the money that our victims uh, transferred to them. 
we experience a lot of uh, um, objection there. I mean, people do not really want to volunteer this information. I bet. Um, um, so, but, but we're talking about it in the context of ransomware. Think about it also in the context of the data breaches and, and system trespassing and, and DDoS attacks. You yep. have all those companies um, that Absolutely. we know experience experience high level of, of, of system trespassing events and, and uh, DDoS attacks. They're not willing to disclose this, this information. So in, in our community, and it's not, again, not in the, the criminological community, but in the cybersecurity community, we're trying to think of ways to encourage folks to provide us with this information. Um, we're, we're, we're debating about ways to do that. Uh, we're trying to think of incentives for the companies, for individuals to do that. Uh, but these are initial stages. Uh, of discussion. So, you know, we still have a, a long way to go there. Well, people are embarrassed, of course, and also don't want customers whose data they house to right. be exactly. worried. Mm -hmm. uh, so keeping it quiet sometimes seems like the best thing. Every once in a while, a CIO, a CEO is on the cover of the Wall Street Journal or something saying, I have my ransomware story. Yep. And um, you mentioned something we haven't had other people mention before that uh, either on the dark net or through your research you've talked, you are trying to figure out what people do with the bitcoins is how you put it, the cyber criminals. Is there anything that popped out at you that you, you, you found out about how and where the money is spent? This is some, some of the information I can't really Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. The answer is yes, but he can't tell me. All right, okay. well, how about this? We're we're not taping this, so you can speak. Oh no, we're taping no, it. That's right. The, oh this, no, we're not taping it. Oh no, we're taping it. Okay. All right. I just tweeted that. Everyone knows what we're doing. Ask him about Petya because it's in the. How do you how do you pronounce that? P e t y a. Am I saying that right with the right accent? The uh, uh, people, the Petya. Is Petya. that how I say it? Yeah, Am I putting the right about, spin on it? Because that's been out in the headlines, so it's on the record. He can talk about it. When right. you saw the news about Petya from the, in the Ukraine. Uh, or generated by uh, some uh, cyber criminals out of the Ukraine. W what was your first reaction? Because many reports came in that it was, uh, you know, large scale, and then others that it wasn't a typical ransomware attack, that it had more to do with testing out uh, some sort of cyber attack that would have nothing to do with uh, collecting money, you know, shutting down systems or grids. Uh, the, the media is there to exaggerate. I mean, oh, what? They did what? I don't know anyone in the media who would exaggerate. Right. Certainly not us. <laughs> Maybe just Norman. What they, with, what they did with WannaCry was, to me, hilarious. I mean, the fact that these guys that were able, that the, the, uh, the criminals were able to get only around $60,000 because of the media sort of attention to it. With, with, with Petya, I don't even think that... Uh, Petya is the type of ransomware. My understanding from reading the last reports and uh, talking to few uh, experts, Petya is not really a ransomware. Petya is is a is a virus. It's, it's a wiper um, um, malware. Uh, sort of, it's, it's essentially a virus that is designed to uh, wipe. Yeah, well, like, I was right? reading the same thing um, today, David. That there's, you know, they're seeing that it, it may be doing that. It's, it's confusing, and I agree that the media does their best to sensationalize these things. And you know, that's that's what I think also makes it hard for victims to know what to do. Is it just, oh my gosh, just this horrible things? Oh, it's not such a big deal. But in the case of WannaCry, it it was all over the place, and people like us, we're sending right. you helpful sure. hints about what not to do. Yep. It may right. have worked then to slow it down, right, David? 
I, I, I hope so. Uh, but, but again, ransomware has been around for quite a while. I mean, we know that ransomware has been around since uh, the late 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if it's the media attention that uh, gives, I mean, this is, again, an empirical question that uh, it'll be great to study, but I don't know if it's the media is essentially uh, the one responsible for the, the, uh, the eruption, right, of, of the, 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 right. the uh, range of ransomware attacks that we're seeing. Ransomware has been around for quite a while. It's a very effective way to uh, extort people and get their money. Um, at the end of the day, again, from what I read okay, from the literature, not too many people are willing to pay the uh, uh, ransom, especially not here in the United States. So whether, whether the, the, the criminals really make a, a high profit uh, from ransomware, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, yep. So the, and that may be why they're not telling you what they're doing with the money, because instead of buying right. banging Ferraris, they're buying a Toyota Prius. And so that's entirely possible. Uh, well, maybe... I mean, maybe maybe they're using this money in order to develop their nuclear plants, right? I mean, this is another you know way to think about it, right? It's not only with Ferrari that uh, they may be able to to buy, but also supporting uh, governmental initiatives. That Ab- some absolutely, have. right? You can you don't know where the money goes, and frankly, in exactly. every legal case, you know, it's always follow the money, and you get to where things really matter. And uh, it sounds yep. like nobody's really been able to do that. Uh, we spoke with a former uh, FBI agent uh, a while back, and you know they've been trying to do just that, right? Follow the money and try to get to the heart of this uh, of any I mean, of these ransomware rings. Right. They've had some success, but they're also limited by um, international international jurisdiction. jurisdictions, yep. boundaries, right. et cetera. I'm sure he was able to give you more information than I did <laughs> on, on that. So. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Ellen, yeah. Ellen has another. Great question, which he may also try to do with a fake Russian gonna, accent. I'm not going to <laughs> trying to pronounce. Ketchup. I'm not going to say pocket security <laughs> with a Russian accent. Well, we're going to close it out by asking about your pocket security research project. I know some stuff is underway and probably under wraps, but I am curious about what the smartphone cybercrime research has shown and why you decided to focus on smartphones. Um. Uh, thank you for asking this question. And so, so again, my, my focus and, and my interest in um, sort of the scientific sort of uh, field is trying to understand how your how the environment within which you're embedded or situated, uh, how that environment influences your behavior and your decision making process. And, and, and as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, I started with. Uh, understanding how neighborhoods affect your behavior. Now I'm doing this in the context of the online environment. Um, and, and, and in that context, I'm, I'm studying uh, how the online and offline environments influence uh, uh, the hacker's behavior, sort of the bad guy's behavior, as well as um, the, the, the victim's uh, behaviors as well. Um, in this specific project that you're discussing, that you want to know about, uh, what we're doing is we're trying to understand how um, different environments uh, that smartphone users um, experience on a daily basis influence their decision-making process with their smartphones and um, shape their probability to experience cybercrime incidents on their devices. Um, The fact that uh, we all have smartphones, um, you know, is is something that um, we all know what people do not really know, I think, uh, is the fact that the cyber criminals are, are targeting those devices nowadays as well. We see, mm-hmm. we see a trend, an increased trend of cyber criminals uh, targeting smartphone, smartphone users um, and, and their devices. Um, 
And as criminologists, we know that what you do with your device and what you do and, and you know, how you present yourself and your personality traits and the environment within which uh, uh, you, you, you're embedded uh, will influence your probability to become the victim of, of crime, right? Uh, so, for instance, if you live in um, specific type, we know that if you live in specific type of neighborhoods, your probability to experience uh, crime increases. Um, the cool thing about the smartphone is that uh, you take it with you and you constantly change environments. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to understand is what kind of environment will support uh, more secure behavior uh, with your device. Is it when you're sitting in Starbucks or is it when you're sitting in the library? Uh, is it when you're listening to music? Or is it when you're just browsing the internet? Which which environment will support, you know, more uh, vigilant behavior, right? Uh, uh, so, so what you're basically you're trying to uh, to simplify it. When are people likely to drunk text their ex? Right, that, 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 those are risk. Those are risky behaviors, right? Because different environments That's set right. up different risky behaviors and. I, I just put it in sort of colloquial terms of drunk texting, but you're thinking about something more serious around when are you more susceptible or in, a, in an environment where you may behave in a more risk? Click on something you shouldn't right, send your bank information. Yeah. I, or in my case, hand my phone to my seven-year-old yep. where he socializes content I didn't realize he was looking at and things like that. Exactly so, yeah. right. Exactly right. So it's when and where. Right. What yep. is it that you do with your smartphone device that opens you to uh, potential attack? Um, and in a which environment you will be more susceptible uh, to those attacks? Uh, this is essentially what smart, what uh, pocket security is all about. Uh, we just started collecting data, so uh, I don't have any findings to report. But you know, hopefully in the future you will uh, have me again, and I'll, I'll be able to give you more details about some of the findings. Oh, we don't have. worry, we'll ha we'll have you back because because we want to have you back. Absolutely, there's no tapes today, so we'll have you back next time and make it uh, even right. more interesting. I know we're running uh, short on time, and we've taken a lot of your time away, but you've given us about five different topics that I know Ellen and I will want to follow up with and dig deeper into it. Yes, uh, thank you, David Maimon, and thank you, Norman Guendano, for getting drunk texting in a Fight Ransomware Carbonite podcast. I, I try every single we time. And that. <laughs> David, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Thanks, Thanks again David. for having me. Thank you. Hope to talk to you again soon. Uh, well, Ellen, a lot of interesting things that we covered today. Uh, I do really like uh, the, some of the thinking there, and uh, I think we're at the early stages. We're going to have to dig deeper into this thinking about uh, the actors in this process of this new type of crime, and uh, guests like David will continue to help educate us and our listeners on the, an evolving sort of societal crisis, if you will. Yes, a whole generation of college kids taking cybercrime classes, so they should come out better better educated, hopefully on the good side of things. Or drunk texting when they are <laughs> late in the evening. Uh, as always, uh, it's a pleasure uh, having uh, Ellen here. Thank See you. See you next time. And remember, check out fightransomware.com and join the good fight.